I'm Avery, and you're listening to She Ran, a podcast featuring conversations with female-identifying elected officials on what it means to be a woman in politics. In the political world recently, we've seen politicians and their policy be so divided on matters concerning health and human rights that for many, it's impossible to be apolitical. With a rigid two-party system, our country has been stretched to extremes on both sides, and now we see fractions even within that political dichotomy. Basically, our democracy is under siege, and our president is in many ways the source. In an effort to stay both sane and politically updated, I've personally been gravitating towards politicians who hold a strong sense of their own identity and are better equipped to lead the rest of us towards the unity and acceptance which has been so foreign in politics these days. For this week on the show, I wanted to touch base with someone who seemed to exemplify this sense of self and political altruism. Unlike many of the people that occupy this political arena, Representative Alston's decision to go into politics was based solely on her desire to improve her own community and use her services and skills to help others. I found her perspective extremely refreshing. Having that kind of perspective, like, if I'm not the right person, then that's fine, allowed me to be really consistent, I think, and grounded in my values. Because I'd say to myself, like, I, I have nothing to lose. All I have to do is be myself. Representative Renetta Alston currently serves in the North Carolina State Legislature, representing District 29. Before this position, she served in the Durham City Council from 2017 to 2020 and was appointed by Governor Cooper to represent the 29th District in the State House after the death of Representative Marianne Black. Mayor of Durham, Steve Shul, said that she, quote, was never the loudest voice in the room, but she was usually the wisest voice in the room. Wherever the council had differences, she was always the person who could bridge those differences. Cool. Okay, so my first question for you is, can you point to a specific moment in your lifetime when you knew that you wanted or needed to run for office? I definitely don't think that I have ever felt that I needed to run for office. Um, I decided to run primarily because some folks in the community, uh, you know, asked me to consider it. Uh, I decided to do it ultimately, you know, because we're coming out of the 2016 election cycle, which was uh, demoralizing and really eye-opening to say the least. And I saw an opportunity here in Durham to uh, create a progressive majority kind of on our city council when I ran in 2017. And so I saw, you know, before us a real chance to, you know, chart a progressive course for Durham. And uh, at a time when we were really growing, still are. Uh, and so it felt like an important moment for Durham specifically, and also just politically to uh, take more responsibility for what happens to mm. me and to my community. So you you served on the city council of Durham from 2017 to 2020. What is one of the most influential things about a city council that a lot of us aren't aware of? Yeah. Um, well, I'll say two things. Uh, the first and 
these may be things that folks are aware of, but <clears throat> local government, you know, has the closest proximity to our everyday lives. You know, it may, it may, it, local government, folks and elected officials in local government, you know, make decisions about water you drink, the roads you drive on, uh, uh, you know, whether or not your trash gets picked up every day, how your cities grow and develop and change. Those are all decisions that are made at the local level. And for most of us, um, we get to take a lot of those things for granted. You know, we know mm -hmm. the water that comes out of the tap is going to be clean or relatively clean. We know that our trash is going to get picked up. We can drive down right. the road and it's not going to be riddled with potholes. Um, and so, you know, I think the power of local government is something that um, I think is easy to lose sight of. But I th I'd say kind of based on my experience on the council, I was just always in awe of our employees, you know, mm -hmm. who to me are, are kind of really just heroes and just the backbone of our government. I mean, these are, I'll take, I'll take water for as an, use water as an example. You know, there are people every single day, you know, who are working around the clock, who have so much expertise, um, who are, who are working every single day to make sure that we have clean water. You know, like they, they, right. they, they are doing thankless work that, you know, no one knows their names, their faces aren't on yard signs. Um, but they are the backbone of uh, a public, this major public utility of, you know, major piece of infrastructure that supports not only just our everyday lives, but, you know, our public health and, um, you know, they don't ask for a thank you, you know, they're, they're just doing their job, you know, is a, is a core piece of, of this, of any, this in any community. Um, and so I, I just think the tremendous amount of work and dedication um, and sacrifice that these relatively anonymous people do every single day, you know, across a lot of different areas, not just water, um, is just a marvel to me that um, I think should be appreciated more. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's so important. Thank you for sharing that. I, I know that I am not fully aware of all the work that goes behind local yeah. government. So I, I hope that some people are able to learn something new from that as well. So politics is such an incredibly contentious field right now. How do you stay true to what you believe and deal with the people who try to stand in your way? I, I, I'll say I found in my 2017 campaign that, you know, I was running in a uh, fairly difficult race at the local level, you know, had a, ran against an incumbent um, as well as a couple of other people. And so it was just, it was a, it was a, it was a race that required a lot of work and, mm. you know, folks, voters, you know, were trying their best to make distinctions among us. And, uh, you know, I think perhaps, I think I went into running for that race and I'll get all, I'll answer your question too, but I went into that race saying, you know what, like, like I said, I hadn't planned on going into politics. This is not something that had been a life goal of mine. Um, but I'm going to, I want to try it. I want to kind of put myself out there, uh, show people who I am, what I stand for, what I have to offer. And if they want it, great. If they don't, that's fine too. You know, I, I'm not, my, my whole life isn't dependent on winning this election. Right. Um, and so I think having that kind of perspective, like, uh, if I'm not the right person, then that's fine. Um, allowed me to be 
really consistent, I think, and grounded in my values. Because I'd say to myself, like, I, I have nothing to lose. All I have to do is be myself, uh, represent the things that I care about, mm-hmm. and people can take it or leave it. And I think that helped me, I think, be very, I think that helped me deliver a clear message, but also I think it helped me drown out a lot of the nonsense mm-hmm. to the extent there was any, um, in, at least in my first election and, and in this one as well. Um, uh, because I just, it, it didn't matter. Like I, mm-hmm. I mean, I wanted to, I wanted people to come to be persuaded and interested in me as a candidate because that's what they wanted. Uh, I, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to win at any cost or compromise who I was. And so I think I, I think I went into it, I think with a perspective that was very much rooted in, in my values. And I think it, it helped tremendously. It helped me make decisions along the way, um, you know, just campaign decisions. And uh, it also helped that I had a team that was, uh, you know, to a person, everyone was very committed to the same kind of agenda and the same values. And, that kind of created accountability for me mm. kind of throughout the process and every decision that we made. So there was an incident where a Catholic grade school canceled classes after the principal had extended an invitation for you to come speak during Black History Month. From what I read about this, it was presumably because of your stance on gay marriage, which was in conflict with the church's position on the issue. But I also read that you were set on turning this instance into a learning moment for the community. Um, I found the story really inspiring. Would you be willing to tell that briefly? Um, sure, I'll do the best I can. Um, so, um, yeah, there's a school here in Durham, which I attended for um, all of grade school and mm. uh, part of elementary, part of middle school. Um, so it's a school that, you know, I'm very familiar with and, um, you know, was excited. They invited me to come give a talk for Black History Month. Uh, so I was very excited to do it. You know, I think it's always nice when, you know, your alma mater uh, uh, invites you back to speak, <laughs> to be a part of any program. It's always fun. So I was looking forward to it. Um, you know, everyone I talked with, um, a few of the students who had you know met before that event was scheduled to take place were excited. And um, yeah, and then, and then uh, as I understand it, you know, it's, it's not clear to me who exactly, but someone complained. Uh, to church administration, and uh, you know, I can't can't verify what conversations were had or not had. But then it was it was canceled, and then um, shortly thereafter, the whole school day was canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I was disappointed. Um, I was surprised because it's just not that that happening was not representative of the culture that I know that that school. Um, represent. Um, but I also wasn't surprised because we were kind of dealing with the Catholic Church, which is not, you know, known to be at the forefront of a lot of progressive policy stances. So, you know, um, and I was really disappointed for the kids, um, uh, particularly the African American kids who, you know, I think really led the way in, in building out the program for the assembly that uh, I and my, uh, I think several other people have been invited to. Um, so I was disappointed for them. I, was, I thought, what message does this send to them that, you know, their entire, all their effort, all their hard work, and the kind of recognition that this event was supposed to um, offer could just get canceled. Um, 
So I was disappointed from that for them. And, you know, I think instantly very committed along with a group of parents who, um, you know, I was kind of in communication with, uh, to, uh, to really turn that, like you said, into a positive for the, for the, for the benefit of the students more so than anything, you know, to not let that be the way that that, uh, incident ended. Um, and so we worked hard over several weeks to, um, pull something new together. Um, the student, uh, you know, uh, I think you, you said that I tried to turn into a positive experience. I think I really, I think I really leaned on and followed the lead of that school and parish community who, um, you know, again, very instantly said, this is not who we are. This is not right. the message that we want to send to our kids, how these are not our, like, uh, canceling something like this or not supporting a member of the LGBTQ community is not something that uh, is not consistent with our values. Um, so they really led the way and were incredibly supportive and you know, really made that new event happen. So we had, we ended up having an event. I think it went reasonably well. And, you know, I, I am really um, proud to have been a part of the effort to turn that around and mm -hmm. really grateful to, again, folks in, that school and parish community for really standing up for, um, I think, uh, for me personally and, and uh, their African-American students and mm -hmm. I think LGBTQ folks in Durham. Um, and, I, you know, in, in kind of afterward, I you know, was able to reflect on the fact that, or the, the I think, reality that, you know, I, I could it made me think that you know my representation there's a lot that I can do with it you know mm -hmm. I can there's a there there I think there's there are a lot of I think there's a lot of potential right being an LGBTQ elected and um, I think there's some real opportunities um, they don't have to be born out of you know an incident like this but um, that I there's a voice that I have that you know I I that that this community is receptive to mm. um, that I I want to use and I want to use it well um, and so the, the the whole incident was kind of a reminder of that um, and so it's it forced it not forced it caused me to kind of recommit to I think the real opportunity that I have with this position. Wow! Yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's I mean, like I'm grateful that you were willing to you know, give back to the community in that way, since it's not always our responsibility to, you know, teach the people who have, sure. yes, totally. Mm -hmm. um, so were you able to eventually speak to the same students who had originally organized the event? So, yeah, mostly. So, you know, originally we uh, were scheduled to do an event kind of during the school day, and um, we ended up doing something kind of after school, I think, you know, uh, like in the five, six o'clock hour. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, you know, I don't know, I didn't, I don't know who, basically the, the event that was supposed to be during the day was kind of an all school event. Right. The evening event was open to everyone and including the church community. Um, and so I know what, you know, the whole school wasn't at the, the event that right. we have, but a, you know, a lot of students were, and a lot of the parishioners were able to come mm -hmm. as well. So um, it was a, it was a give and take I was willing to make. Um, right under the circumstances. Right, that makes sense. So this is my, my favorite question that I've been asking women elected officials at the moment. So if you were able to 
assume the role of president of the United States at this moment, what would be the first thing you would do? Oh, I'd like to know what your other uh, interviewees have said. Um, the first thing I would do, um, I mean, <laughs> this is probably not an exciting response, but honestly, probably try to build relationships. I think something that I've learned and especially in my time on the council, um, is the importance of relationships and the importance of not assuming that I'm right about anything, frankly, um, and uh, the importance of, I think getting things done is important, but I think buy-in and having the community, whether that's your colleagues or your constituents, having buy-in is j just as important. Um, at least it is for me. Um, yeah. And so, I, you know, I think there's very little that should just be done without, without that. Um, so I think the very first thing that I would do practically is try to build relationships. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, cross branches of government with, you know, within, within, you know, the executive. I think that seems to me to be the, probably the most valuable um, and transferable thing to do that could yield yeah. a lot of, a lot of good outcomes. No, I, I support you fully on that one. You say it's <laughs> not exciting, but like the fact that we don't even have that bare minimum at the moment makes that extremely exciting. So thank you. Um, I'll, I'll give you a more satisfying tidbit though. Okay. If I had my druthers, I would absolutely abolish the death penalty, but Again, that's something that requires, I think, a lot of buy-in. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Thank you. I would absolutely love to vote for you someday. You say politics <laughs> wasn't your goal in life, but if you intend to stay in it, I would love to vote for you. Uh -huh. um, so I have five like quick last questions that I've been asking the same questions to all of the officials. Um, number one, what are you doing to release stress and anxiety right now? Hmm. Um, trying to slow down, um, trying to, when I can, spend time with my family, and I always try to exercise. Exercise has always been something that's been very effective for me um, to kind of center myself and um, uh, decompress and relieve mm. stress. So as much as I can um, with COVID and with my the injuries and aches and pains that come with uh, getting older <laughs> um, I'm trying to do that as well so. awesome and is there you something need rapid, that, you need rapid answers sorry that was kind of long it's I like I used to call them rapid fire questions but I just realized that the response was not rapid so it wasn't really fair to ask for a rapid response um I can do it so, either way <laughs> no no it's all good don't feel rushed um <laughs> Is there something that you are not so proud that you've developed during quarantine? Hmm. Yeah, that's a hard, that's a little bit harder. Hmm. Looking around my office. I think I'm staying up too late. Mm. Yeah. I think I stay up way too late now, um, chronically. I mean, I still, you know, we have a three-year-old, so, um, you know, I'm, and just, just with the amount of work I have to do, I'm still up you know, every morning at a very reasonable hour, but with less sleep. So yeah, I've got to stop doing that.
Oof, yeah. Do you have a favorite movie or show that you've reverted back to during quarantine? Oh, Friday Night Lights, all the way. <laughs> You're probably too young for that even. You should watch it. It's, it's the best show ever made. Honestly, I'm, I might start watching it with my mom here in quarantine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And do you have a go-to snack? Huh, a go-to snack. Mm. If I have them in the house, gummy bears, but I'm trying mm. to, early in quarantine, I bought like three pound bags of gummy bears. It was not a good look. So I stopped doing that. Uh, but when I had them, it was gummy bears. Uh, generally speaking, though, probably like nuts. You know, mm. That's, yeah, that's an honorable go-to snack. Okay, and lastly, do you have a book or show recommendation? A book? Oh, I haven't actually started reading it yet, but uh, I've been planning to all week. Um, and it's Indecent Assembly, which is a book written by Jean Nichol mm-hmm. um, uh, about the the kind of assault on basic human rights and civil rights and transparency and civility and democracy mm-hmm. in the North Carolina General Assembly over the past several years. Um, wow. So I'm looking forward to reading it, uh, hoping to get it done. I'd love to get it done soon. We'll see. I've been saying that for a while now, but um, <laughs> that one's next on my list. And then Friday Night Lights all day long, every day. Friday Night Lights and in, in yeah. Assembly. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was a really wonderful interview. Thank you. For yeah. Thank you. It was nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. That's really awesome. Have a wonderful rest of your day. I'm sure you're extremely busy at the moment, but thank you for taking that. Absolutely. Thank you. I'll leave you with the rest of my theme song, A Woman's World by Estelle.